steps to apply. And last week, Pastor Craig talked on the topic of racism, and uh, that's not one you hear often in church, but it was very unique and powerful. And if you missed it, I would encourage you to go on to the website and catch the podcast. It was really good. And uh, this week, we're going to talk, the title of my message is Empowering the Impoverished. Empowering the Impoverished. And I got to tell you that I have been just like a baby with how I've been crying so frequently this week and even this morning uh, because I just, it's, it's like I've been at a pre-screening of a movie and you guys are just now going to be witnessing to it for the first time, but I've had access to it for weeks now and uh, I know without a doubt that the Holy Spirit is up to huge things this morning and, uh, and I don't want us to miss that. And so what I want us to do before I get started, we're going to do something that we do with our leadership team. Now, the youth leadership team, they do this every single week, and they do kind of like an intense version of this, so I won't make you do that. But maybe you came into church this morning a little distracted by something that happened before you got here. Maybe something happened this week uh, that kind of threw you off. The enemy wants to distract us from what the Holy Spirit has for us, and uh, I don't want that to happen. And so we are going to remove any distraction from us, and we're going to tune in to what God has for us. And... Uh, we do this in the student ministry, but this isn't something where, you know, it's like me talking to you, right? It, it's God talking to all of us. And so it's a living thing. I don't want this to feel like church isn't meant to be boring, okay? And so maybe you come from a boring church. Well, this isn't a boring church. I don't want to just like talk to dead bodies. And so you can interact, you can engage. I would encourage you to take notes and like step out of the box and shell of just the fill in the blanks. My wife is an excellent note taker. She, she not only fills in the blanks, but any, any white space she can find, she's jotting down thoughts of what God is speaking to her. So just engage and become alive with me in this as we digest what the Holy Spirit has for us. And we're going to push everything off that could be a distraction. So I want you to do this with me, right? Just shake off any distraction. Wake up a little bit. Nudge your neighbor. I want you to wake up and I want you to be alert for what God has for you. Slap yourself if you need to. I don't care. Wake yourself up. There you go. <laughs> our youth leaders, our youth leaders, we do stretches every week, active stretching. And so uh, wake yourself up and shake any distraction off because I promise you the Holy Spirit wants to do something in and through each one of us today and it is going to be too good. You do not want to miss out. I promise. And so to start us off, we're talking on the topic of poverty and being poor, right? And so I searched through social media, and uh, I found a hashtag. I, I searched the hashtag, I'm so poor, and uh, here is some of the results I found. Hashtag, I'm so poor that I opened a Gmail account just so I could eat the spam. <laughs> the next one, hashtag, I'm so poor that when burglars break into my house, they leave stuff behind. Hashtag, I'm so poor that ducks throw bread at me. <laughs> this last one's my favorite. I'm so poor that when I'm mad, I can't afford to fly off the handle. I have to bust off the handle. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about the topic of poverty and empowering the impoverished. Empowering the impoverished in a way that honors Christ. Not just offering a handout, but empowering those living in poverty. Maybe uh, you can relate to me. You've had the opportunity to go to a developing nation. I've had the opportunity to do this several different times. And, uh, and so if you have as well, 
Maybe you know what it's like to see a family living in a small hut or shack that's pieced together with clay or maybe scraps of sheet metal. And uh, there might not be a floor, and it could just be dirt. And, um, and so I have a picture to show you. This isn't of a house. Um, this is when I was in Africa. We were in Kenya. And uh, this is actually a school. And uh, you can see it's pieced together, poorly constructed by wood and random pieces of scrap that they have found. And uh, there's no doors and there's no windows. They would pack these rooms filled with children and uh, there's no floor, it was, it was straight dirt. And uh, many of these kids didn't have shoes. And if they did, uh, some of them might have only had one shoe. If they were lucky enough to have two shoes, most of the time they didn't match. And uh, they were so poorly worn that honestly, here in America, we wouldn't even be allowed to donate them. We would have to throw them out. And so uh, maybe you've been a witness to that. I don't, don't show this next picture yet, but I have another picture to show you from the same missions trip it honestly has no spiritual relevance to this topic at all. Um, but it's a picture of my wife, and she's just so beautiful in this photo that I knew she would want me to share it with you. And so you can go ahead and throw that up there. And uh, she's right there in the front. <laughs> and so I just thought that would be, uh, that'd be fun. But um, whether it's poverty like this, or whether it's poverty in the form of someone right down the road from you uh, who's unemployed, the reality is that all poverty is real. All poverty is real. And uh, I want to talk about how we can empower those who are in need in a way that would honor Christ. And it's interesting, if we look to the book of Matthew, chapter 25 in the Bible, we we, um, encounter a situation, right, where, where Jesus actually comes back to the earth to meet and gather those that are his people. And uh, in, in the book of Matthew, it records this interaction and what Jesus will say to them. He'll, he'll approach his people and he'll say, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was homeless, uh, you housed me. And it says that his people are going to look at him kind of confused and say, uh, Jesus, when did this all go down? Because honestly, I don't recall you ever crashing on my couch. Uh, but in Matthew twenty-five forty, it says that he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I want us to think about that for a minute. Whenever you use what you have to empower someone who doesn't have something that they need, you are actually ministering to and blessing Jesus directly. I mean, that's how special this is, to use what we have to make a difference in other people's lives. And on the contrast, when we look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, it's kind of like a spiritual gut punch. And it says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Honestly, if we as a Crossroads Church family embraced just these few verses and actually lived it out as our motto for life, we wouldn't need to preach another message and this county would be radically different because of our choice to intentionally look for opportunities to love with actions. 
See, I didn't become a pastor uh, because of the fat salary that was attached to it. I became a pastor because I knew that I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't give every ounce of who I was to trying to live this out to the best of my ability. I'm not saying you need to be a pastor in order to do that, and I'm not saying I do it uh, well all the time, but I do want us to kind of self-reflect a little bit, because it can be real easy to say that you love like Jesus, but do your actions reflect that? And this is one reason why I truly love Pastor Craig so much. Um, Do you know why Crossroads Church is here? Really, not, not its mission statement or not the vision of the church. And so many of us have been changed by something that has taken place here. You know, we, we've developed friendships uh, that will last a lifetime, and, and it's impacted us in a real way. But do you know why Crossroads Church is here? See, back in the day, Pastor Craig and his wife Rochelle were passing through Avon. It wasn't their destination. And uh, in this time, it was different than how it looks today. There wasn't as much. It was very up and coming. Uh, But Pastor Craig chose to live intentionally to look for these opportunities. And when they were driving through, he noticed that there wasn't much, yet there were businesses moving in and there were companies being built. And sitting shotgun, his wife Rochelle, also living intentionally, noticed that there were subdivisions going up all over the place and that families would be moving in. And Craig looked to his wife and he said, someone needs to plant a church here. And see, for most of us, that's where it stops. For most people, that's where the story ends. We're driving down the road and we say, oh man, honey, look, that person's car broke down. Gee, I hope they're all right. Or we walk out of the grocery store. Babe, can you believe that? Look at that woman all by herself with a cart full of groceries and two screaming babies. God, I can't believe that her husband isn't here to help her. For most people, that's where it stops. But not for Craig and Rochelle. You see, some of you have been changed by something that has happened here at Crossroads, a ministry or a group of people And you need to thank Jesus that the whites are people that chose to live with intentionality to love with actions. You need to clap for that. And when you think about it in that way, when we shift our perspective and and view it in that light, really it's ridiculous and honestly it's kind of repulsive to think that some of us would have the audacity to complain to one of them about the paint color of the church or not liking the furniture, right? Because they have chosen to live in such a way that over 90% of Christians would not even dare. Because God has called us to be a light to this world, to take what he has given us, the tools that he has entrusted us with, and use them to love others out of poverty. See, you, you don't have all this stuff because you're awesome, and you've accumulated it all. It's because God's entrusted you with these resources to manage them well, to love people out of poverty and into a place of wholeness. That's what God has called us to do. And so we need to do something about it. But how? 
Because like me, I'm sure most of you in here are moved with compassion and your heart breaks when you see the brokenness around you and the poverty, right? And, and we're moved, but we don't know what to do or how to do it. And we're stuck because we don't know how to get this right. And so how do we get it right? And I think the way we get it right this morning is we look at the foundation of the issue. We strip everything else away and we get to the root What is poverty? What is poverty? There's a book that I had been reading uh, to prepare for this message. Honestly, it's a really good book. And so if you kind of want to take this topic a little further on your own time, um, it's, it's great in terms of empowering those living in poverty to a place um, of fullness in their own lives. And the book is called When Helping Hurts, if you want to write that down and kind of take this further, When Helping Hurts. It's a phenomenal book in terms of making a difference and empowering those to rise above in their situation. Uh, but in reading this book, it mentions something that's really interesting in terms of this question, what is poverty? And it says that most Americans define poverty as a lack of something material. Most Americans define poverty as a lack of something material. On the other hand, in the book, shortly after, it mentions that there's a group of people that surveyed 60,000 poor people in underprivileged nations. And this is how the poor people define poverty. The truly poor defined poverty as a mindset. They never said it was anything lacking something material. You know, I I can't afford clothes. They never said anything like that. It truly was a mindset. It's the way they think. Some of the things that they had said in this book over again, it's a deep sense of shame. They feel ashamed that they can't do more to pull themselves out of this situation. Uh, There's an ongoing feeling of worthlessness. They use the word fear over and over again. They use the word humiliation and hopeless over and over. See, it's a sense of being trapped. It's not, it's not you know, I wish I didn't have to buy a used car. It's, it's not that. It's, man, I, I, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't have access to education. You know, I just need to get my family through today. It's a mindset more than it is lacking something material. We need to understand that when we're wanting to empower those in need, uh, we need to do more than just give them something that will last them for that day. Really, we need to help change the way people think. What we need to do is change from a mindset and a place of hopelessness to a hope that God is giving me what I need to get me out of the situation that I'm currently in. And so what we need to do is we need to help in a way that doesn't hurt. We need to help in a way that never hurts. The problem is, as North Americans, we often think we know what will help, but we often give in a way that hurts. An example of this, several years ago before Cassie and I were at Crossroads, went on a missions trip, and the goal of this missions trip was to reach these kids and uh, just give them all kinds of stuff that they didn't have. So we were bringing them toys and all, all kinds of toiletries and stuff like that. We were providing for them what they didn't have. And we felt so good. And it was, it, was, it was powerful for us. But it wasn't until several days into the trip that we noticed that these kids 
after they left our program, they would go back home to their families. And many of these families, they had several children, but they, they couldn't send all of them to this program. They could only send one. And so these kids would run home and their siblings would see all this stuff and they would get excited and they would run up to us and they would ask for something. <laughs> and I'm ashamed to say that because they weren't in the program, we had nothing to give them. And there was kids in the streets that would flood us because they saw what's going on, just wanting something. But because they weren't in our program, we had nothing for them. See, we often have good intentions, but are we giving in a way that's helpful? The result isn't always that case. Maybe you've been in a situation like me. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. My family wasn't well-to-do or anything, and so there'd be times where friends would go on trips, or there would be a school trip, or um, a church camp that we wanted to go to, we, we couldn't afford it. And so every once in a while, we'd have a family member or a friend of the family offer to pay for it or, you know, help, help us out uh, in getting there. But my mom would never just accept the cash. She would make us at least do something to earn it because she didn't want us to just receive a handout. And see, we need to respect this because a lot of times we want to give and we want to help those, but without knowing it, by giving a handout, we're actually insulting them in the process. And again, this is why I love Crossroads so much because we've recognized this and we've taken the steps necessary to change it. You see, we used to get so excited around Christmas time. We would gather all these presents and we would wrap them and we'd bring them into the church We'd have a massive pile in the lobby, and we'd feel so good, and we'd see all the presents. And then it would come time for Christmas, and we'd pack them in our car, we'd bring it to their house, we would show up, and the kids would freak out, we'd bring all these presents inside, we'd put them under the tree, feeling awesome. The kids would be ecstatic. But what we noticed is that in some cases, we'd go into the homes, put the presents under the tree, the kids would freak out, but the parents would kind of sulk back a little bit. Maybe they weren't as excited to talk to us as the kids were. We realized that what we meant to do for good is we were actually communicating to a father, hey, you can't provide for your family, and so we're going to do it for you. We're going to cut you out of the picture, and I'm going to show up and be the hero and put these gifts under your tree because you can't. And we recognized that. And so we flipped the script. And now we have dozens of volunteers that show up. And these parents can come to a physical location, Crossroads Church. And they shop for these toys that they themselves pick out. They themselves wrap. And then they bring them home, the hero, and put them under the tree themselves. And it, and it puts the focus on the parent rather than look at us. And it gives them dignity You see, the first way of doing it was it was totally built on good intentions, but we didn't realize that what we meant to do for good could actually put shame on a man who was doing everything he could to provide for his family. What we meant for good was actually hurting someone. What we need to realize this morning is that all poverty, the root of all poverty is brokenness. If you're taking notes, the root of all poverty is brokenness. And guess what? We are all broken in some way. 
We are all broken in some way. The root of every type of poverty, and there's more than just material poverty. When we were in Africa, we would see these people who didn't have what we had, and we felt so bad for them. Man, they don't have this stuff. But we noticed that they loved each other so much, and they would rally around each other, and they smiled all the time. And, and we would watch this, and we thought, well, I, you know, I, I feel lonely a lot, and I kind of wish I had what they had. All poverty is real, and the root of it is brokenness, and it stems from a broken relationship in God. A brokenness caused by sin where we separate ourselves from a closeness with Jesus. And then there's brokenness with self where we have a poor self-esteem and we don't recognize that we were created in the image of God and that we have access to his power within us. We don't believe that we can better ourselves or empower our family. Therefore, we're hopeless in all that we do. And there's brokenness in relationships where you might come and you might be struggling, yet you're so insecure that you won't talk to anyone about it. And where I might actually be able to help you, but I'm so full of myself and what life is going on for me that I don't reach out. And in a situation where we could help each other, because of brokenness in relationship, we actually don't help one another. Why? Because the root of all poverty is found in brokenness. That's why it was so challenging when Jesus showed up in Nazareth. Nazareth, yeah, I said that right. In front of a group of people, he walked into a church and he read from a scroll uh, that we now call the book of Isaiah in the Bible. And it says in Luke uh, that Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then recorded in just a few passages later, a few verses later, Jesus says, today those verses are fulfilled in your midst. In other words, Jesus is saying, today I am the fulfillment of those verses. That is me. And so if you're sitting here today wondering, why on earth should I listen to what this scrawny white dude has to say? Don't take my word for it, okay? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up and preached the same exact message. He stood where I'm standing, and he spoke to a group of people just like you, and he said, look, y'all, this is not only what I came to do, but this is literally who I am. So when we look back into what we read earlier in 1 John 3, 17 through 18, it actually makes sense why he comes across so harsh. Because this is literally Jesus at the core. He's serious about this. And we need to understand this. Christ saves. Christ saves. Christ heals the brokenhearted. Christ is the one who steps in and frees us. The root problem of poverty is brokenness, and Christ is the one who mends and heals the brokenhearted. That's who Jesus is at the root. And when we get that, when we understand that poverty is more of a mindset rather than a lack of something material, 
and that the root of all poverty is brokenness, and that Jesus is the one who can mend that brokenness. It changes the way we try and help empower those who are in need. We are called to this. We are called to this. If you call yourself a Christian in this place, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a relationship with him, you are called to empower the impoverished. That means you. You are called to this. We are called. Crossroads Church is called to this. So how do we live it out? How, how do we live this out? What do we do when we cross paths with someone who needs money? Right? What, what do we do when we're downtown and we encounter someone who needs a place to stay? What do we do when we're met with a national or a global need or someone in our life group is out of a job? What do we do? What do we do when we're overwhelmed by all of the brokenness that surrounds us? How do we love in a way that helps and doesn't hurt? I have three thoughts uh, that I hope kind of help us get this as we seek Jesus to get this right. The first one is this. We need to recognize that we are called to serve others, not save others. We are called to serve others not save others. It's insulting and dangerous when we start to think that we are someone's savior, when we think we're the answer. Jesus is the answer. We are the servants. Jesus saves, we serve. Jesus is the power. We are the tool in which that power flows through. We serve people. How does Jesus want us to serve? Again, in this book, When Helping Hurts, uh, there are two ways it points to in which Jesus calls us to serve, to empower the impoverished. Two ways to do this. First one, we are called to relief. Relief is defined as immediate, temporary help during and after a crisis. You can write that down. Immediate, temporary help during and after a crisis. Tornado wipes out a neighborhood or a hurricane takes out a city. Maybe in your world, someone you know loses a job or a relative discovers they have cancer. Maybe someone gets in an accident and actually loses their life. And we're there to provide temporary help during those crises to help sustain them through it. The second one is this. We're called to restoration. Restoration is long-term relationship to rebuild wholeness. Long-term relationship to rebuild wholeness. The tornado passes through, right? The accident happens. The school shooting takes place, and there's news and attention covering it like crazy. But eventually, the world moves on, and what's left is a ton of individuals and families who are left trying to pick up the pieces and put their life back together. You see, the church stays when the news moves on to cover something different. The church stays when the news moves on. A long-term relationship to build and rebuild wholeness. This is why we advocate for life groups so hardcore. It's not that the staff has some, something we get out of it. You know, honestly, you could be in a life group and it will have no direct impact on me. It's not because we get something out of it. It's because we know what it offers to us. You see, there'll be something that happens. Someone loses a job or you lose a family member or something along those lines, a death in the family. 
And your church body will be there for you in that crisis. We'll be there to support you, provide meals if we need to, whatever it takes to be there for you in that crisis. And honestly, uh, those in the community will be there for you too, probably in that time of crisis as well. But eventually the world moves on. And who is there yet your life group to provide that restoration, to provide that long-term relationship to rebuilding that wholeness? As Christians, we aren't called to pick one or the other. Jesus came for both, to serve in both capacities. Relief and restoration. Number two, we are called to relate with people, not rescue people. We are called to relate with people, not rescue people. Relate with them, love them, care for them. And I want us to get this. You can write this down too. It's not in your notes, but I would encourage you to put this down. Those who are struggling are not projects you help. They are people you love. Those who are struggling are not projects you help. They are people you love. There have been times in my life where I've not had it all together. Times in my life where I've been a little uh, need, uh, in, in need of help from others. When Cassie and I first got married, man, we were so poor. I used to eat my cereal with a fork just to save milk. And so we've had some time in need, man. And, and every Wednesday, we would go to the local food pantry to get our groceries for the week. And I would have been so mad and hurt if when I got there, the people working the line at the pantry viewed me as a project that helped them feel better about what they've done. And when we get this, that those people are not projects, but people we love. It changes everything. I've seen it countless times. I'm sure you have as well, right? A ministry, a group of people, they show up to a neighborhood. We actually label the, the projects, and, and their goal is to maybe pick up some trash or plant some flowers, repaint over park benches that had graffiti on them. And then you go back to that same neighborhood a month or two because they spend a couple days there. They take some pictures, feel great about themselves, and leave. You go back a month or two later, and what happens? The flowers are dead. The trash is piled back up. And the graffiti is back. And we, we get offended, right? Like, man, I came to fix your problem for this. And I wonder if their response might be, Fix my problem. My kids can't read. I can't get a job that pays more than minimum wage. We can't pay our heat bill. What problem did you fix? You see, we are called to relate to people, to their needs, what they want to accomplish, something that gives them dignity, not rescue them, not swoop in and fix what we think will help them. We're called to serve others, not save others, relate to people, not rescue them. Third, we're called to reach out, not down. We're called to reach out, not down. We reach out because we care, never reaching down out of a place of being better than someone else. I want to read you a story out of the book of Acts in chapter 3, verses 2 through 7. It says, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried 
to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. I want to pause here because all too often we place the disciples in a, in a greater place than really they are. They weren't superheroes. They were jacked up people just like us. And the events that take place moving forward from here in this story are only a result of these two men intentionally looking for opportunities to love with action. That's it. They're not special or super Christians. And it continues to say, Peter looked straight at him, as did John, showing this man that they were equals, not that they were better than him. They looked straight at him. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Do you know what the greatest tragedy in this story would have been? The greatest tragedy would have been if Peter had a dollar in his pocket. You see, it's the fact that we have access to a temporal answer that stumps our mind into thinking that that is all God is capable of. Peter didn't have money, but he had Jesus. And see, a lot of us were paralyzed because we don't think we have anything. You know, how can I empower those in poverty? I don't have any money. I don't have anything to offer. You might not have money, but you have Jesus. You have everything you need to empower the impoverished. It continues to say that taking him by his right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. I want us to pay attention to that last verse because it's easy to miss something there. It says that he helped the man up and then his feet became strong. So I wonder what would have happened if Peter would have stopped short. If like in 1 John, Peter would have loved with words but not actions. If he would have told the man about Jesus, but not reached out to serve him, what would have happened? A miracle is waiting when we speak in love and then step out and serve. Love not only with words, but actions as well. Just being honest with you this morning, preparing for this message, I've been a blubbering fool crying because it has been speaking to me in a real way. Because honestly, I have viewed poverty as lacking something material. 
So everyone with your head bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you're in here this morning and it feels like this message was exactly spoken right to you. And it's not because of anything I've said. It's because the Holy Spirit is wanting to get your attention. Maybe you are living in poverty. It's it's not about not having money. It's about not having Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, and you're living in spiritual poverty, broken because you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to shoot your hand up right now. Thank you. You don't have to live in spiritual poverty anymore. Thank you. You don't have to live in spiritual poverty anymore. Listen, you can have all the money in the world, but if you don't have Jesus, you don't have the one thing that can mend the brokenness. And the root of all poverty is brokenness. Jesus, I want to thank you right now for those who raise their hand, for those who are publicly saying, I'm, I'm impoverished. I'm living in poverty. I thought I was going to learn about how to help others, but, but Jesus, I'm the one in poverty. I'm broken. I don't have you, Lord. So Jesus, I pray right now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would come and enter into a relationship with us, that we wouldn't have to live in spiritual poverty anymore, but that we could be whole in you. We could enter into that full life that you want for us. You guys can look up for a second. The theme at CSM so far this year has been next level. Living life at the next level. And some of you in here need to take the next level. Maybe you have a relationship with Jesus. You don't have that spiritual poverty I'm talking about. But quite quite frankly, some of us need to step up our game. We're not living with actions as Christ has called us to. And so we are going to take it a step further today. We are going to show with our actions that we're serious about this in a tangible way. We're going to take that next step together. One of my favorite parts in war movies or in an action movie, there's, a, there's always a part where a general or the hero of the film stands in front of a group of people and he gives this speech that goes something like this. What I'm about to do isn't going to be easy. You can go home if you want. What I'm about to do is going to be messy. It will challenge you. It will push you. But I will not leave these people behind. And so I am going to do something about it. And then they always say, who's with me? Right? And then the soldiers, one by one, they stand up. And they say something like, I'll stand with you. I'll do that. The civilians will pop up to you. It's always powerful to me. And so this morning, we are going to take a literal stand declaring that we will live and love with actions to empower 
the impoverished. And so, you can go home if you want. What I am called to do will not be easy. What I am called to do will get messy. It will challenge you. It will push you. But I'm determined not to leave these people behind. I am committed to living on purpose and on mission every day. Who's with me? Stand up right now if that's you. And listen. Stay standing. Stay standing, but please, if you stood because someone around you stood up, you don't need to do that. Don't don't do this in that way. This is a serious moment because if you are standing, if you're standing right now, that means you're serious about this, that you recognize that you are called to empower the impoverished. And so if in three weeks from now you aren't serving, that's not on Crossroads Church. That's on you. If you aren't living this out in a week or two, that's on you. It's not going to be easy. It will challenge you. It will get messy. You might need to fight for it. You might need to email several times. You might need to pester and push, and it might inconvenience you. It might challenge you to get up a little earlier, drive a little farther, or step out of your comfort zone a little bit. But we are all called to this, to empower the impoverished, those who are broken and in need of Jesus. So if you're standing and you're saying, I'm committed to that, I want you to lift your hands and pray with me. Jesus, we are committed to living this out, to being your hands and feet. Because Jesus, if you were physically here, you would do it, but you could not do it alone. What one man wants to do, he can't do on his own. And so you have called your church to be your hands and feet, to do what you could not do. And so, Lord, we stand now committed to being your hands and feet, recognizing that this is our calling. It's not the pastors. It's not waiting until someone else steps up. We will step up. Jesus, use us, challenge us, convict us when we don't, and help us to serve and empower the impoverished, to recognize that it's not a lack of something material. It's a mindset and that brokenness is the root of all poverty and that those who don't have you are broken individuals and that you are calling us to be your hands and feet to our community right here, right now. Jesus, we commit to being your soldiers, to doing this with our lives. Amen. Our prayer partners, if you would come down at this time. Uh, If you want to pray a little deeper on this, you can feel free to do so. And again, these these people coming forward, they're they're called prayer partners, but you can talk to them a little bit too. And if you need to ask, you know, hey, I, I need help.